Amen. You can be seated. So good to see you here this morning. Again, thank you all so much for working and helping. Uh, I know you do it Do it as unto the Lord, and uh, God honors that. He's blessed us with a beautiful place to, to meet here and to worship. I want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. Now, while you're turning there, this is, uh, this is the second time that the Lord met with Moses up on Mount Sinai. The first time he gave him the law and he gave him the Ten Commandments written with the finger of God in the, t- in the tablets. And when Moses came down the first time, the children of Israel were committing all kinds of whoredoms and sin. And, and, and uh, Moses threw down the, the tables the tablets, and, the, and they were broken. Well, this is the second time he went back up on the mountain, and God met with him on Mount Sinai, and God came and spoke to him. And I want you to read this with me in Exodus 34, verses 5 and 6. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him, with Moses there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So God is coming down to speak to him, and he's going to reveal himself by his name. And you'll notice that if you've ever studied the Bible, as the Bible goes from Genesis 1, 1, the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And it goes all the way through. As, as God deals with men and people, and, and it's like he reveals himself to Abraham, to Noah, to different people, he, he oftentimes would reveal himself in a new way by a new name. When, when God offered up, uh, when Isaac, Abraham was about to offer Isaac, God had called him to offer up his son as a burnt offering unto the Lord uh, at Mount Horeb. And Moses, Abraham was about to follow through with this. God stopped him and God provided a substitute like Christ is our substitute. Amen. There was a ram caught in the thicket and that was offered up in the stead or in the place of Isaac. And God revealed himself as Jehovah Jireh. Okay, my provider. And here, I want you to read this because the names of God are important uh, and what he says about himself is important. Verse 5, so the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. We're just going to stop right there. The Lord reveals himself in the last part of that verse as abundant in goodness and truth. We're doing a a series. I'm not sure how many weeks we'll go on Sunday mornings, but we're doing a series on truth. And uh, this is the second part, actually. Last week, we had a a Mother's Day message to encourage our mothers. But the week before, two weeks ago, if you're trying to keep up with this and would like to go back and hear it if you missed it, it's on the website. It's on the YouTube channel. The first part of our series of truth was two weeks ago. This is the second part. Two weeks ago, we talked about this. Should I follow my heart? And the world would give a resounding yes, follow your heart. The greatest, uh, the greatest happy, happiness. And we, we read quotes from celebrities and, and people that are have, uh, in the world. And they said, the best advice I can give you is to follow your heart. If you want to be happy, follow your heart. You'll never regret it later. Follow your heart over and over and over. The sure way to success is to follow your heart. But the Bible says in Proverbs, a man that trusts in his own heart is a fool. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, the Lord knows it. 
I, the Lord, try the hearts and reins of men. And so we need to follow truth. And that's why uh, the, Lord, the Lord had us start this whole series on should I follow my heart? Is that true? No, it's not true. Do not follow your heart. Follow Christ. Follow God. Our hearts change. Our hearts are fickle. We might, with 100% of our hearts, think this is the best thing to do. And a day later, a week later, a month later, we're thinking, what a fool I was. I sh- this is what I should have been doing. Our hearts will often steer us wrong. Our hearts are de- deceitful and desperately wicked apart from Christ. Amen? And so the Lord comes in. He makes us new creatures. But we need to follow Christ. So is that true? Do we follow our hearts? No. We follow God. We follow his word. And so this series on truth, I think, is very, it would, be, it would be timely at any time. But I think it's timely in the day in which we live right now. Truth as opposed to what's false. Truth as opposed to what people, uh, other, other things that people want to follow after. And so God reveals himself and says, I am abundant in goodness and truth. That is the first time in the Bible, by the way, where truth is used of God. And he uses it of himself. I think that's important to know. A lot of times you want to find out about a biblical word like love that we heard in Sunday school. Go back and find the first time it's used in the Bible. And, and see how, how it goes from there. The fir- this is the first time. It's not the first time truth is used in the Bible. But the first time truth is used about God is right here with Moses on Mount Sinai. And it was him describing himself. I'm abundant in goodness, Moses, and in truth. And so truth, y'all, I'm going to say it right at the beginning, of the, and I'll repeat it through this series. Truth is a moral issue. Truth is not just a factual issue that here's a set of facts and here's a set of contradictory facts. It would include that. Truth is a moral issue, okay? It has to do with God. It has to do, it starts with God, just like true love starts with God. Agape love is from the Lord. It is of God. It is part of his attributes. Truth, true truth, is going to start with the Lord. It is a moral issue in how we respond to that truth. How we walk in that truth or reject the truth that is given to us is of utmost importance. And so, the Bible says that the law was given by Moses. It was given by God to Moses and through Moses to the people of Israel. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Truth came by Jesus Christ. And he's, since he's Alpha and Omega, he's always been, grace and truth were around, I guess you would say, in existence in the Old Testament as well. But in the fullness of, of his fullness have all we received, the Bible says in John 1, and grace for grace. Christ was the perfect embodiment, the manifestation of God in the flesh. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So Christ was the perfect example of, a manifestation of truth to men. There's not going to be a greater one. There hasn't been a greater one. Truth has been existence in existence because God has been is eternal. But the perfect manifestation of truth to men or mankind or to this world was through Christ. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And I'll just read this. You don't have to turn there. In Revelation 19, when the Lord comes back, this is not the rapture, but the second coming. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. He is called. 
Jesus Christ, he that sat upon the horse, that's Christ, is called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. And so this is an important uh, series that we're doing. I believe it's very important and very pertinent to the day in which we live. I don't claim at all to be the final authority on the subject of truth. It's a big truth. It's a big subject that's overwhelming. I don't claim to be the greatest scholar on the subject, but I tell you what we all can do in this room, and anybody can do, we can go to the, the source and find out. Amen. We can go to the Word of God. We can go and be taught by the Holy Spirit about Christ and about His Word. We can search out the subject of truth as God reveals it. He is abundant in goodness, goodness and truth. The word truth, as the Lord used it here in Exodus 34, means, uh, and this is how all the definitions of truth in the Bible are very similar. But th this particular one says certainty, trustworthiness, assured, sure, right, verity, faithfulness. God is abundant in these things. Amen? They're abundant. And I want to read like a, Web a Webster's definition of truth. These will be good. If you're taking notes, some of these scriptures and some of these things we're, we're going we're gonna to build upon. So the, the truth means this, the body of real things, events, and facts. The body of real things, events, and facts. Actuality, the property as of a statement of being in accordance with fact or reality. I think that's very important. That's not a biblical definition, but it is a good definition. And so truth corresponds to reality. We're going to build on this even this morning. Truth corresponds to reality. It is based upon something. Truth is, it corresponds with a body of real things, events, and facts. And I'm not, uh, again, not the, the final authority on this. The greatest philosophers in the world have sat down and pondered and tried to tackle the subject of truth. But there is one that's higher and greater than all that we can go to, and that's the Lord, amen, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we can go and call out to God in his word, and we can find out what he has to say on the subject. I'll just read this from John. Here's Jesus at his, I don't call it a trial, I call it a mock trial, when he was before Pilate, okay, and Pilate said unto him, art thou the, a king then? This is from John 18. Jesus answered and said, Thou sayest I am a king. Listen to this. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness of the truth. A lot of people talk about Jesus, and they talk say what they want about Jesus. We need to go to the Word of God to find out why did he come. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to be a propitiation or atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. He came to seek and save the lost. And people put all these other things in there that they, the Jesus quote that they want to follow and serve. He says, I came to bear witness unto the truth. Not a truth, the truth. There is the truth, okay? And everyone, he goes on to say, that is of the truth, heareth my voice. Isn't that significant? He came to bear witness of the truth, and everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. They listen, they hear, they understand, and they follow. Everyone that's of the truth heareth my voice. Why? Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. 
he is. It's a moral issue. It has to do with God. It's not just a, a set of facts that people argue over. Pilate said unto him, what is truth? And that's how that little uh, confrontation with Pilate ended. But I think it's very significant that he says, everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. Amen. And so we're going to God's word and we're going to reason. The Bible does say, come let us, the Lord says, come let us reason together. We're going to reason over this subject. Now I want to tell you right at the beginning, I believe, and you see it, if you're, if you're, uh, you know, have discernment and seeing what's going on in our world today, and I know that you do, there is the very idea and concept of truth is under attack. That sounds like a strange thing to say. The argument is not just what you think is truth, like I think this is true and I think this is false, and somebody else says, no, no, I think that's true and I think that's false. The very idea of is there truth is actually under attack. Is truth even anything? Is it is does real truth actually even exist? And 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 if you separate God from the equation, it does not. Then every man's his own God and determines what's true. But when you put God in the equation, then it brings sense to everything. It brings order to everything. God is God and we're created in his image. Amen. And he determines what is truth because he is truth. And so there's this attack for the God of this world, the devil, to undermine, to do away with, to erode truth. As reasonable, peop reasonable people would think of truth. He wants to do away with it completely. Our adversary does not want, want men who are created by God in the image of this same God to believe in truth at all. And he certainly doesn't want us to believe the truth as it is in Jesus. That is a scripture, by the way, in Ephesians 4. The truth as it is in Jesus. It is in Jesus. Amen. True truth, if, if there is such a thing, and there is, it's in Christ. It's in the Lord. Jesus told the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil on one occasion. And the lust of your father ye will do. Remember, everybody that's of the truth hears my voice. He's the truth. He came to bear witness of the truth. Everyone that's of the truth hears my voice. He said, you're of your father, the devil. That's not every Pharisee. Some Pharisees got saved, but as a whole, okay? You're of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. He is a liar and the father of it. Satan is the opponent, the adversary, the enemy of our souls. He's an antichrist, that spirit of antichrist that is opposed to Christ and also wants to be in place of Christ. That's what antichrist means. He does not want men to believe that something is inherently all the time right or wrong, good or evil. He does not want men to believe that. If you could just muddy the waters and make everything just relative and everything just sort of ambiguous and, and subjective to personal thought. That's what he wants to do. He's very good at that. And that's where we're in. We're floating. Our whole world is floating in a, in a pool of, of subjective reality. Okay? And remember, truth corresponds to reality. It has a basis to it. Satan doesn't want men to believe in truth and error. He doesn't want 
men to believe that they're accountable to God, that all men are accountable to God. He doesn't want men to believe that they're sinners. He doesn't want, and they've all sinned and come short of God's glory. He doesn't want men to know that all men are one day going to die and all men are going to face God as judge. He doesn't want men to believe that. He wants that to be just kind of eroded, but that is truth, amen? That is the Word of God. That's what God's Word tells us, whether people stick their fingers in their ears and pretend like they don't hear. That is the truth, whether they uh, agree to it or not. And so Satan wants, and, and we see it, we see it in our world, okay? Satan wants people to, instead of believing in absolute truth, that something is absolutely always true and early for all men, he wants he wants men to create their own reality. People are told, you create your own reality. Now, to us, it sounds crazy. It is crazy, okay? Their foolish hearts are darkened. Their minds are darkened. But it is insanity, really. But that's where we are. People are told to create their own reality. They're told to be true to you, be true to yourself, and that kind of thing. And it's, it's a, this like a united attack from this world and the God of this world and it's reached a new level. It really has. It's reached a new level. Some of y'all may have gone to, uh, I was out of town, but went to hear Frank Turk a few weeks ago. He has really got his finger on the pulse of this type of thing. He spoke at LSU. He's a Christian uh, apologist, basically, who takes on a lot of current issues and that type of thing. But I want to read this from 2 Thessalonians 3.2. Pray for us. Paul says to the church at Thessalonica that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. It's interesting he puts those two together. They're unreasonable and they're wicked. Unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. And so here's Paul out preaching the truth, Paul and those with him, and they're preaching the gospel. Now, it's, it's, it's fine in this one sense people can accept or reject the gospel. But to just say that there is no absolute truth is, is bringing it to an, a new level, okay? And these unreasonable men, uh, unreasonable means to be apathetic, to be past feeling, to be past feeling. And I think we're seeing a lot of that in our days. The Bible says that God has appointed a, a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man. It's Christ Jesus, and that he's given assurance to all men, and that he raised them from the dead. Every man's going to stand before God. I have a Bible verse that says it, okay? Every man is going to stand before the Lord. The worst of the worst, the best Christians you know, those that are on the fence, everybody. Everybody's going to stand before the Lord, and he, God will judge them. And they'll be judged by that what they did with Christ. Did they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and surrender to him? whereby receiving true salvation or they will be outside of Christ. And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Even though they heard about the Lord, they might have known a lot about the Lord, they never knew the Lord. That is truth, okay? That is truth. That is what the Word of God says. And people, uh, Satan wants to do away with that. And I, I know that you know this, but they want to, they want to believe because it's easier for them to believe that all truth is relative. 
I'm not giving you something you haven't heard before. I didn't invent this, but you can see it around us, okay? Relativism. Relativism, where all truth is relative. Christianity is fine for Valerie, but I've got my own belief system over here. And my belief system is just as valid as hers. Who's to say? Well, that's where truth comes into play. You can say whatever you want, but what is truth? Truth is based on reality. And the reality is that God created all things. That he is, the, he is the sovereign Lord of all. And he sent his son Jesus Christ to be the savior of the world. Because all men are sinners and he loves men and wants men to be reconciled. He's made a way. But there's not a lot of ways. There's the way, the truth, the life. And it's in Christ. That is the reality of the situation. But if all truth is merely relative then there is no absolute truth. Now, we know that that's not the case, but if all truth is relative, then the word truth almost comes to have no meaning at all. What does it even mean anymore to say something's true or someone is true? If all truth is relative and just subject to one's own perspective, and this is what you're hearing, and this is a big, big part, if not the biggest part, of the progressive church. Again, it's one thing when we see the error, so to speak, or the falsehood or the, the doctrines of devils and seducing spirits out there in the world. It's another thing when you see it robed in Christianity, not say robed in Christianity, and calling itself, this is the way to, to follow Christ. We're Christians too. And in progressive Christianity, it has gone so far, it is not Christianity. C- progressive Christianity is not Christianity. It's not even just a liberal slant to Christianity. It is not Christian. And they believe that that truth is basically just relative to the individual's perspective, their outlook, their culture, their environment that they were brought up in, their worldview, their personal experiences. So in other words, truth for you is totally different than Paul's truth. Paul grew up in and a Roman and lived in the days of a Roman Empire, and his truth is totally different than than Moses' truth, who grew up in a, in Egypt, you know, with with slavery was around, and it's totally different than Abraham's. And so they actually say in progressive Christianity that that the Bible is just man's best guess, man's best guess about God. They saw him. Let's say the Israelites saw God drown Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea after parting it. So they just knew him as a warrior and as a vengeful God. So they wrote about him like that. That is absurd. It totally undermines the Bible. The Bible said, Jesus said, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. John 17, 17. That's a key scripture, by the way, if you want to write that one down. Sanctify them. He's praying for his disciples to his father. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. The Bible is not just men's best guess about the Lord, but, but the, these progressive Christians say, well, they were, just, they were just doing their best, but we have evolved to a higher understanding of God. We have not evolved to a higher understanding of God. But you can see how Satan wants to undermine truth. If all truth is subjective and it's merely relative to the individual, then there really is no truth. There really is no truth if that was the case because it's just based upon that's your truth, 
but this is my truth. That is relativism and relative truth. And I'll tell you this, another thing that's interesting about relative truth, they offer, relative truth offers no basis or no means by which you can verify if it's true or not. Because it's totally left up to the individual. That is a significant flaw. The Bible, the Lord says, come, let's reason together. The Lord says, by these fulfilled prophecies, you'll know that I'm God. He actually gives that challenge out to men. He's not afraid to be tested in Isaiah several times. And we'll probably get to this at some point where he says, I'm going to say this before it happens. So then when it happens, you'll know that I brought it to pass. And it wasn't one of your idols that brought it to pass. And I want you to use that so you'll know that I am he. And besides me, there's no God and there's no Savior. God's not afraid to be put to the test. The truth is not afraid of the attacks. The truth is not afraid of being put to the test. But if everything's relative, they offer no means to verify or falsify their claims. Well, that's your truth, Reynolds. This is my truth. And who are you to say the difference? No, here's to say what's the difference. Here's to say what's the difference. There is a truth They receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. It speaks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And so there is the truth. We've we've moved or the world has moved beyond even reason to where it used to be, even in my lifetime, where it was, if you didn't know something, let's let's search it out and find out. And if, if it's this way, if it's the way you thought it was or the way I thought of it was, I'll humble myself and say you were right. Or you humble yourself and say, uh, I was right. Let's go. I, uh, to, let's say nobody ever been to the South Pole before, and somebody thinks, I, I think it's really hot. And somebody says, no, I think it's really cold. Well, we're not going to sit there and have a fist fight about it. Let's say, let's go find out. You're right. It's freezing down here. You know, you were right. That reasonable person could act like that. But now, they, they, there's no, there's beyond reason. That's why Paul says, not every individual, but this is a climate in the world in which we live, to where Paul is saying, deliver me from, from unreasonable men. You can't even bring the gospel to them. They won't even hear it. They won't even entertain the thought that maybe it's true. Well, look, he, here's God. He just, uh, he just healed this man at the gate, the temple gate. Or here's... Uh, Water that parted, or here's Jesus walking on the water. They don't care. They don't care. They're unreasonable. That's your truth. That's good for you. You can't reason with them by things based on reality. It's beyond that. That's why it is a moral issue. It is a spiritual issue. Is there, is there absolute truth? The resounding answer from the world would be no. There is not absolute truth. The resounding answer from the world would be, no, it's relative to your perspective, your point of view, your culture, your upbringing, your mindset. That's your reality and good for you. Uh, I'll give an example real quickly. If somebody says, this is a reasonable person, whether they're a Muslim or Christian, a reasonable person would at least see the argument here. If somebody stood up and said, Allah is Lord of all, and somebody else says, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. They can't both be true, can they? That's not this, Allah is not the same person as Jesus Christ. They cannot both be true. Right? 
a reasonable pers- person, whether, they're, whether they believe that Allah is or Christ is, they at least say they can't both be true. I agree with you there. It's like people are beyond that now, and they're just unreasonable. There are many that are just unreasonable. And the very fact that you and I believe in absolute truth labels us as being reactionary or, or backwards or closed-minded or narrow-minded or even bigoted. I've actually heard someone or read the statement of someone that said, in, in our day and age, one of these movers and shaker kind of people saying that mathematics is racist. What are we talking about here? Because an even number is always an even number because an odd number, that's racist. This is unreasonable. It's just factual. It has formulas. They work or they don't work. If you use them correctly, it will repeat itself every single time to the nth time. It will always be factual. It's not spiritual truth, by the way. It is factual truth based on reality, on the theory of mathematics and so forth. That's unreasonable. I want to read some some, uh, quotes and definitions of relative truth. Okay, I have quite a few, so just bear with me. There are so many different people, and there are so many different ways you can look at things. I was Googling, like, progressive Christianity and people's thoughts on truth. Just is there truth? Just Google it, and here's the stuff. We had some Christian perspective, and we had some uh, other perspective. There are so many different people. There are so many different ways you can look at things. I don't see how there could be just one truth for every human being. I don't see how there could be. That's what he's saying, or this individual's. I don't see. So truth was, all of a sudden, he defined it. He made it what it was, and we're supposed to go along with that as being valid. I'll give you another one. Here's a definition of relativism. Relativism asserts that what is accepted as truth is relative to a person's situation or standpoint and denies that any standpoint is uniquely privileged over all others. Well, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe He's born of a virgin. I believe He's the only Savior of the world. I believe He died and rose again as the first fruits of the resurrection. Well, that's fine for you. That's fine for you. I don't believe that. And I don't believe that that's fine for you. This is from an article by Mark Vernon called How to Be an Agnostic, if you were wondering how to be. After all, if true beliefs describe the world and the world changes, then truth must change too. What if reality itself is an illusion? Ooh, you know, it sounds so deep and mysterious. Reality is an illusion. People are losing their minds because they reject the truth, because they reject Christ. And they think they're so wise and enlightened even, and they're darkened and darkened and darkened. I'm not, I don't mean to ridicule, but what if reality itself is an illusion? Truth is the single currency of the sovereign mind. In other words, individual, it's, it's, truth is based on every individual's sovereign mind. The knowing subject and the best thinking in the philosophy, science, and art. He says that's what truth is. The truth of something can never be more than our best opinion. This is from the Progressive Church website, by the way. Progressive Christianity. Truth 
the truth of something can never be more than our best opinion of that thing. The best opinion, if the best opinion is all we can have or hope for, then our best opinion is as good as truth. How about that? Your best opinion is as good as truth. And truth is a redundant concept. In psychology today, an article they put out, how, uh, one of the, the doctors says he had a, a patient that asked him this question, Doctor, how can I know if I'm lying to myself? And here's the doctor's answer. One has to develop one's trust. One has to develop and trust one's instinct. Truth is adaptive. Two more quotes real quickly. Postmodernist philosopher Richard Rorty claimed that truth is what his colleagues let him get away with. Relativism. This is the postmodern Christian. Uh, statements about science, scientific facts, religious claims, or moral principles cannot refer to objective states of things. On the contrary, language is constructed through communities, and it cannot move beyond its own context and refer to realities outside of itself. What are they saying? Truth is only based on this little community, what they think it is. We think a pine tree is God. And we're going to worship it and bow down. We think this. We think that. And no one is to say who's really true or right. Christ broke through all of that. I didn't invent this thing. I didn't invent the Godhead. I didn't invent the Bible or God's plan of salvation. I didn't say one day I hope God creates men in his image. God did that. He breaks through all of that. And there is an absolute truth. It is absolutely true for all men, for all times, regardless of culture, regardless of upbringing, regardless of race or color or creed. It is true all the time. We have to at least establish that. All truth is not relative. Amen? It's not relative. And so uh, professing themselves to be wise, they become uh, fools, the Bible says. And this is what we're seeing. We're going to read that in just a moment. But uh, just to... Just to kind of bring this to like a current day example, and, I, and this is very pertinent to our day, but you would think, at least when I was growing up, and maybe even until just recently, that anybody could sit down and say, this is a man, that is a woman. You didn't have to be moral. You didn't have to be Christian. You didn't have to be anything except not insane. And you could look and say, this is a male, this is a female. And we would say, to, even with people that are not Christians today, we could say, we can at least agree on that. But you can't agree on that, can you now? I make no apologies for, for what I'm saying. Christian or not Christian, we just, in our country, swore in a Supreme Court justice who has asked this very question and said, she can't tell. She's not going to decide. We have lost our minds because there is a moral compass and we've totally thrown it out the window. Now it is all relative. Now it is you define your own reality. Now you create your own truth. And if it's true for you and it works for you, great. And no one can challenge it because there's no 
basis or means by which to verify their claims. Because it's totally subjective. It, truth is totally lies within the sovereignty of the individual. But Christ stands alone. He stands outside of all of it. And he defines it. And he is truth. Amen? And so, uh, it's, it's, it's abstract. And so, absolute truth doesn't exist. A couple of things just quickly. How is this a moral issue? And where does that end up? Uh, being such a moral issue because it centers around Christ. It centers around God and his eternal, what he has spoken as being true and who he has revealed himself. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I think it's over and I, I, may, I may get a few of the, the, the time frame wrong, but I think it's over about the fast, past 30 years. There was one in 10,000 people Teenagers, one in 10,000 teenagers that questioned, one in 10,000, am I a male or, or, or female or do I feel more comfortable as a woman? Or one in 10,000. That currently for teenagers that question what sex they are, which God gave them, and there's no question about it, there, there's 30%. 30% of teenagers question what what sex they are, what gender they are. What the it's it's foolishness. The Bible says, "In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of, of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them." If you have your Bibles, turn with me. We're just we're not going to be too much longer, but I want to look. Want you to look at Romans chapter one. This is what happens when a people or a person or a people or a society or a nation or a city rejects the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. I'm not saying these people that you shouldn't have compassion on them. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have pity on them. I'm not saying that God doesn't love them. I'm saying that they're, they're confused. They're confused because they've rejected the truth as it is in Christ. So look at Romans chapter 1. I want you to read with me verse 18, and then we'll skip down to 21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Again, it's the truth. It's not a truth. It's not a subjective truth. God's wrath is revealed against those who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Skip down to verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they, knew, they had a knowledge of God. They weren't saved, but they had a knowledge of God. They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. This is what we're seeing. They, didn't, they held the truth in unrighteousness. Here's a result of that, okay? Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Verse 25, who changed the truth, there it is again, the truth of God into a lie. And worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The Bible says in the first chapter in the whole Bible, I mean, God, God's plan and how he wanted to reveal himself to men starts in Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 1, it says, So God created man in his image, in, in his own image. In the image of God, 
created he them. Male and female created he them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over uh, the fish of the sea and the cattle and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. From the beginning, we have it. We have it the way God said. It's not to mock or ridicule people that have, uh, feel this way or feel that way. The point is there is a standard to bring clarity all, to all of that. There's a standard, and it's in Christ. Amen. Now, if there's no absolute truth, then one can be male, female, whatever they choose to be at any given moment. If there's no absolute truth, but there is, one can believe in any God they choose and be equally as valid as anyone else. If there's no absolute truth, then the Bible isn't true. And Jesus is not the Savior and the truth that's necessary for every man to be born again. Real quickly, just, just in closing, there are There are people that, that have operations, physical operations, to change their gender. You actually cannot change your gender. You can change parts of the anatomy. You can't change your gender. God created male, and he created female. And by changing parts of the anatomy... Like Frank Turek said, that gender that God made you is in every one of your 300 billion cells that are in your body. You cannot actually change that. This is sad. This is nothing to be laughed at. There, the suicide rate, people that have wanted to change their gender, and people have done it, and they, it's a male that wants to become a female, a female that wants to become a male, and they've gone through with the surgeries that surround that, Okay. The suicide rate among those people is 19 times higher, 19 times higher than people who have not had the surgery. You don't hear that, do you? They kill themselves. 19, at a 19% higher rate than people that may have the same feelings about a different gender and their self-identity but don't have the surgery. Those that have the surgery are, have a 19 times higher suicide rate than those that don't have the surgery. Why is that, y'all? Because there's no hope. This is the point of it this morning. If, if absolute truth does not exist, then there is no benevolent Savior who loves all men all the time, no matter what sins you've committed. There is no heaven. There is no salvation. There is no purpose for your life. There is no rock or foundation, no stable foundation, fixed point upon which a human being can build their lives. It's not funny. It's not to be mocked. People have no hope. People have no hope. There's no absolute truth. There is no hope. If there's no absolute truth, there's no benevolent Savior who wants to save you. We're just purposeless 
in our lives. We're the products of time and chance and evolution. And when we die, we go who knows where. God knows where. That's the point. God knows where. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. God knows where. He's saying, wake up, I'm trying to tell you. I want you to be saved. I love you. I sent my son Jesus to die. It is a moral issue because if there's no truth, then there's no hope. It's absolutely a hope and a truth for everybody. There's certainly no hope beyond the grave. I want to close with this scripture. You can turn with me. 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is, this is speaking of Christ. 1 Timothy 2, verse 4. Who will have all men to be saved. God, this is, you either believe that or you don't, right? It's true. God wants all men to be saved. He wants all men to be saved. Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. There is a real truth. It is absolute. If, if the only thing that was established today is, is for us to see that there is an absolute truth, it is in Christ. It is in the Lord. It is in the Word of God. Because you cannot separate God from His Word. We know that Jesus was Jesus and the Bible is the Bible. But the words He said, I speak unto you their spirit and their life. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. And one of Jesus' names is the word of God. The point is, if his word says it, he spoke it, it is as true as he is. It is his truth. And we can believe God. And, and he offers hope to all men. It's not subjective. It's not relative to my upbringing bringing and circumstances and my race and my culture and my economic standing in life. It's not subject to any of that. It supersedes all of that. Christ stands alone as Lord and Savior, and whosoever will can be saved. Whosoever will. People that don't know if they're male or female. Whosoever will can be saved. Some good old boy you know at work that would give you the shirt off his back but doesn't know Jesus. They can be saved. People that believe in, in it know God as an atheist. They can be saved. People that believe everything is God, every leaf, every flower, every butterfly is God. They can be saved. There is the truth, and God gives it to us. Amen? Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. God wants us to hear him. Amen? He wants us to follow. Don't be ashamed at what we believe. What you believe and what I believe about the Bible is 100% contrary to what this world believes. Don't head out there and say, oh, I got offended and somebody ridiculed my belief. Get over it. They're going to ridicule your belief. They're going to ridicule it. The people that are selling best-selling books are not, not the, the, the Christians, okay? Not those that are preaching the truth. Let's put it that way. It is the world's view, and we're in the midst of it. We live in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom we shine as lights. We need to shine his light. Don't be embarrassed of it. Preach the truth. How? In love. In love. Don't forget that. 
We're not banging a drum. We're not screaming and hollering at everybody unless God leads us to, to raise our voice and holler. The point is we speak the truth in love. We care about the souls for God's sake. We care about them. They're totally opposite of us. They're, everything in their life and their morals is totally offensive to us and contrary to us, but God loves them. We need to love them with the love of the Lord. We need to pray for their souls to be, uh, their hearts, foolish hearts to be enlightened and their minds to be enlightened and Satan, uh, Satan's power and grip on their lives to be loosed so that they can receive the love of the truth. They're still living and breathing. They can be saved. Amen. We're to speak the truth to them in love, not a subjective truth, not one that pleases them. And many times you will be rejected. But Jesus said, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And our heart ought to break for Christ's sake. That he's being rejected time and time again. But he's, some are getting saved. Amen. If they're going to be saved. This is how they're going to be saved. By the truth. And we need to speak it to them. Y'all stand with me. We're going to just move on in this study in the weeks ahead. However long the Lord leads us. Having a love for the truth. Speaking the truth. And so forth. But just right now the altars are open y'all. I know we got Williamsburg in a little while t this afternoon, but if you would come and just meet with the Lord and, and call upon the Lord, thank God that there is a truth. Amen? Thank God that it's not uh, subjective to me, that it's not up to me to create my own reality and truth. Thank God that we can have truth that's based on reality, 